you today, well, don't even think about it. Just go to Philippians and start reading it. We're going to be in chapter 2 tonight, and uh, some of you want to pull in tighter, you can, because uh, you can see the screen a little bit better. So feel free to move around now if you want to do it, and let's just put it up here. And we're going to begin the Joyful Letter series tonight, part 5, and we're going to look at the humility of Jesus. The humility of Jesus. Jesus is our pattern. Jesus is our pattern for living. He is the ultimate role model. There's not another one like him. And one of the things that he modeled for us more than any single thing is humility. How many of you are proud that you're humble? Oh, I, got, I just got you. Why don't you say, I'm proud that I'm humble. I'm glad you're here tonight. We're going to take care of you. Now, let's... Uh, Let's look at this now. We're in chapter 2, verse 1, and it's called the joyful letter because Paul the Apostle, the attitude king, no matter what he went through, was always able to maintain an incredible overcoming attitude of joy. And I've shared with you that joy is not based on what's happening around you. Happiness is you say, well, why, why I get make this much money or marry that person or have that kind of house? Then I'll be happy. Well, then you're basing your happiness on circumstances. But joy has nothing to do with that. Joy is totally independent of circumstances. Joy is an inside job. Joy is an inside job. And we have the Spirit of God living within us. And because the Spirit of God is living within us, we can tap into that well anytime we want to. And here is what I want this church to learn in our radio audience. I want you to know that Jesus said, remember now, he said, I'm going to dig in you a well. I'm a well digger. And when you get saved, I'm going to dig a well in you. And it's going to be like like an artesian spring, like a natural spa. And it's going to spring up into everlasting life. And he called it living water. That living water is the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Spirit living inside of you is the source of your joy. And you know what? Don't wait for it to come hit you over the head or put you in a headlock and say, today you're going to have joy. You've got to learn to access it. And we've learned in looking at the joyful letter, you access it by being thankful. Can everybody say with me, thankful? Now, I don't know about you, but I know that Thanksgiving is a choice. I know it's a choice. And so we we access the joy by being thankful. We access the joy by living a righteous life, a life of obedience. If you have sin in your life, I can guarantee you what's not there, and that's joy. You can't have joy and live a sinful life. Sin immediately plugs up the well. But if you're thankful and you're living a righteous life and staying in fellowship with the saints, keeping yourself in the epicenter of the will of God, then you will have joy. And Paul knew this. He's writing this letter from prison. And yet he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The word joy is used over and over again. The man blows me away. I've read a lot of biographies a lot about a lot of different people. I've never read about anybody like Paul. He stands head and shoulders above any personality next to Christ 
in history in terms of attitude. It was amazing. You couldn't knock him down. How many of you want to be this way? Amen? Well, all right. We're, that's why we're in the joyful letter. Now, tonight, the humility of Jesus. I'm reading out of the, I think this is the New Living Translation. And here is Paul now talking to Philippians, and he says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender? And it's not flipping here, Jeff. What can I say? Where's Jeff? You'll have to flip it for me, Joe. And compassionate. And can you tell Jeff this is not working? Thank you. All right, let's go on. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Say the next part with me, can you? Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests. Think about this now. As we read this, does this remind you of the people you know? He's talking about a crucified Jesus life here. So let's go on. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now notice this. You've got to have, this is the way God wants you and I to think if we want to grow up spiritually. I don't want to be a spiritual baby forever. I want to grow up. Amen? All right. In these passages... First of all, God is urging us to humility, which comes by, how do you get humility? Well, here's one way, by treating others like God has treated you. How has God treated you just today? How many of you received a little bit of mercy from God? How about a little bit of grace? How about some forgiveness? How about some long suffering and patience? All right, now notice what he's saying. He's saying, as God has treated you, I want you to treat others. Of course, this is just a, an extension of the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. But this is one of the ways you experience humility. You can't serve people and walk in pride. Okay? If you have any encouragement, he says to us, if, if God has encouraged you, comforted you, fellowship with you in the Spirit, or had compassion on you, because of your relationship with Jesus, minister that to others. All right? So as God treats you, and I know how he treats you because I know how he treats me. He loves me. He's patient with me. He forgives me. He's long-suffering with Jeff Wickwire. He blesses Jeff Wickwire when Jeff Wickwire doesn't deserve it. Anybody in your household that you could bless that doesn't deserve it all the time? Don't look at your spouse. Look up at me. I don't want you to get in trouble tonight. He says, as Jesus treats you on a daily basis, you treat others. Now, the motivation God gives us is so that we might please him. When you treat others the way God treats you, then that pleases God. 
And I believe that's a part of the born-again nature. When you have been born again, one of the first motivations that drops into your heart is, I want to please God. I want to please him. When Paul uses the phrase, make me happy, it's just as good as making the Lord happy. What pleased Paul would please the Lord. He says, you want to make me happy? Be united in Christ Jesus. Now, he uses a Greek word, sunsukos, sunsukos, and it's a compound word. Now, let me just break it down for you real quickly. Soon, not sun, but soon, means together. Sukos is the word for soul. So what he's literally telling you and me about our walk with each other is that we are to be of one soul. Our souls are to be together. Now, sometimes when you're reading the book of Philippians, he's he's dealing with vertical issues. But now he's dealing with horizontal issues, how we are to relate to one another. And he says, I want you to be together in your soul, together in your motivation, together in your goals, together in, in, in what you do for the cause of Christ. All right? Now, what are we here for at Turning Point? We're here to reach people with the gospel, reach people with with the word of God. I want to be, and I'm asking God to give us this, I want to be influential for Jesus Christ. I mean, I want to make an impact. I want to make this culture sit up and take notice that there is a God who lives and he sent his son and his name is Jesus and he and he alone died for our sins and rose from the dead. I want to be influential with that message. So he says, be together in your souls, united in spreading the gospel. Be together in your souls. Now he says, don't operate in selfish and conceit. You want to walk in humility? Don't operate in selfishness and conceit. You know, I remember a long time ago when I first read the words of Paul when he said, All, everybody seeks their own. I remember thinking, man, that sounds really uh, negative, really pessimistic. But you know what I found? It's true. If you're not walking with the Lord Jesus and have not given him your life, and he's not Lord of your life, I guarantee you, you're selfish. Ask you who number one is in your life. It's you. And your Godhead is is me, myself, and I. But if you come to him and you pick up that cross and you daily follow him, you know what Jesus crucifies in you and me? He crucifies that core of selfishness that's in every single person born on this planet, born with Adam's nature. He crucifies it. And if you want it crucified at warp speed, get married. Isn't that true? Because you can't live in selfishness and be married and have that thing work. That's free. I just saved you a couple hundred dollars in counseling. Jesus will get the selfishness out of you. And so many times what he brings into our life to get rid of the selfishness, we blame it on the devil. We say, well, I had a bad day. Do you know that so many times what God allows into your life, he allows into your life so that you will learn to not be selfish. All right, don't operate in selfishness and conceit. The word here is kenodoxian, and it means this. Empty is keno, 
Doxian is glory. And what he's literally saying is when you walk in pride and you're selfish and you're promoting yourself, it's absent splendor. We are to avoid walking in empty splendor or glory that we don't even possess. Here's what Paul is saying, what Jesus says to you and to me. Who do you think you are? You're not, you're not all that. You're not all that. I'm going to have to edit out all this clapping, all these amens. Sorry, radio audience, it's just overwhelming in here. <laughs> I know, because how many of you know you're selfish, naturally? If left to yourself, you're selfish, all right? So, he says, when we walk around in pride and we try to promote ourselves and put our own names out there and strut our stuff and act like we're somebody, he says, you're walking in empty splendor. You don't have any reason to strut. You know, I don't think anybody had to tell the, the donkey carrying Jesus into Jerusalem all the clapping wasn't for him. Instead, Paul exhorts us to be humble. You know that humility comes from a, a word that means to cut the top off of a mountain? To cut the top of a mountain off? That's what it means. To bring down to a lower place. To mentally have the top of the mountain of our pride cut off. And I'm going to tell you that if you're walking with the Lord and you're saying, Lord Jesus, use me. I thank you for saving me. I just want to count for God. I want to be a force for you. Lord, use my life. He says, really? You sure about that? Oh, I'm sure, Jesus. I love you. I have fallen head over heels in love with you. He says, all right. One of the first things to go is we're going to cut the top off the mountain of your pride. And you're going to learn to be just like that donkey who carried Jesus into the city. And Jesus didn't have to worry about that donkey taking the glory. He knew who was on his back. He knew who was on his back. So when God uses you and you start strutting, say, you know what, I'm anointed, I'm appointed. I've got a gift. Look out, everybody. I mean, use me or lose me. You don't know what you got sitting out here. You know what God says? Let's take the top off the mountain of that pride. And, and he knows how, just how, just how to orchestrate circumstances to take care of that. That's why I'd much rather humble myself than God have to do it. Okay? Now, how, how do we do that? How do we see the, mount, the, the top of the mountain of our pride cut off by esteeming others better than ourselves. Listen to what the Message Bible says. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. What? What? Say what? Help others get ahead. I'm all about making way for myself. You're not thinking like Jesus. Because Jesus was always helping others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Forget yourself. Focus on somebody else. You know, I'm 55 now. I've been in the ministry since I was 18. And you know, I know uh, my 
well, I don't want to say my last years, this side of the mountain, you know, this side of the story, the last half of the book, you know what I know I'm going to be focusing on? I'm going to be mentoring people. I want to see other people get ahead. I want to see, because I can do so much, and then it stops right there. But if I can make someone else great, help someone else move forward, then I have multiplied myself. That's the way Jesus thought. Now, why do we make these things our aim? Because Jesus is our pattern in this walk of humility. Paul writes these words. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now, I want you to buckle your seatbelts, and I'm going to talk to you about Jesus. We're about to head into one of the most powerful passages in, in Scripture on who Jesus was. Paul takes us down this path of humility to bring us face-to-face with who Jesus really was and is. And if you ever get anything out of this ministry, I want you years from now to remember what you learned about who Jesus was at Turning Point Church. Because I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. You know what the Bible says about Jesus? What the Bible has to say is a mind blower. It is powerful. If he's not God, if he's only a mere man, if it was just a man that died for us and we're still in our sins, if Jesus was just a man, we're still in our sins. Let's forget it. Go home. Watch reruns of I Love Lucy. It's over. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. If he was just a man. But now Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and Paul is going to use the whole humility issue to bring us face to face with the deity of Jesus Christ. Everybody say with me the word deity. Deity. Jesus was God. Look at verse 6. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Now I want you to notice that verse 6 right there tells us that Jesus was God. He was not just a representative of God. I'm a representative of God. You are a representative of God. But Paul just now told us, though he was God, Jesus was God. Look at what John 1, 1 through 3 says about Jesus. In the beginning, the Word already existed. In the beginning, when God flung the stars into space, scooped out the oceans, made everything that we see, hear, taste, touch, and smell, when God did that, Jesus had already been existing. The Word was with God. Jesus was with God. And what does it say? Read it with me out loud. Preach to me. And the Word was God. The Logos, that's the Greek word for word, the Logos was God. Jesus was God. Now I want that to sink in for a minute. Because when you see pictures of Jesus painted in our day, long blonde hair, blue eyes, Gentile looking face, sort of a first century hippie walking around in sandals, saying cool things. People tend to, and in our day, you can mark this down. People are always trying to marginalize and diminish who the Bible says Jesus was. And I think one of the, mess- one of the, the purposes of this church is to preach Jesus, the real Jesus, the actual Jesus, 
the one that is revealed in this book. And if we're going to do that, then we must be very bold when we say, Jesus Christ, who's coming back someday, who already came once, born of a virgin, was God. God wrapped himself in skin. Deity, the creator, the alpha, the omega, the mighty Jehovah, wrapped himself in skin, in baby skin. And was born in the world. John says he existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. And nothing was created except through him. You know, that just, I want that to sink in. I want you to know who we worship here. We don't worship an idea. We don't worship a philosophy. We worship Jesus Christ, who was and is God. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And, you know, just today, Kathy and I have bird feeders out back. We love to feed the birds. And, and uh, some birds showed up that, that we'd never seen out there before, some little chickadees. So I grabbed my bird book and looked them up. And, you know, I look at these birds and I think, these birds flowed through the mind of Jesus. The feathers, the eyes, the flight, the beauty, the grace, the multi, the, the, the huge number of species, colors, shapes, sizes of just the birds, the fowl. They flowed through the mind and the fingertips of Jesus. The stars, the sun, the planets, the solar systems, the atomic structure, animals, fishes of the sea, the multifaceted, splendid, amazing, staggering creation. It flowed through the mind and the fingertips of Jesus. Nothing that was made was made except through him. We got to, hey, God said it. The son amended it and the spirit birthed it. Let there be man. The son said, amen. The spirit birthed it. When you look at what John had to say about Jesus, Paul had to say about Jesus, Peter had to say about Jesus. Oh, listen, we're talking about a powerful Christ. We're talking about in Colossians, Paul goes so far as to say that the entire universe, the atomic structure of the whole universe is kept together, held together by his word. That's who you worship. He could right now say, that's it, we're done. And all the atomic particles would fly apart. The adhesion, the cohesion of the universe is held together by the word of the Son of God. Everybody say with me, heavy. 
Jesus was God. He's always existed. So he was not created. And he was the joint participator in the creation of the world. The Greek text would read something like this. Who in the, this is verse 6, I believe. Who in the exact form, talking about Jesus, who in the exact form, having all the same characteristics of God actually existing, considered it not apprisable to be like God. Now, I want to pluck three words from this, this verse, and I've underlined them so that you can see them, so you can get a hold of what he's really saying here. See the word form? He said, who in the exact form. He's saying Jesus was in the exact form as God. The Greek word is morpha, and it means resemblance, having all the characteristics as in a statue of somebody. Even Jesus told Philip, if you've seen me, Philip, you've seen the Father. Philip said, show us the Father and it'll suffice. Jesus said, Philip, you don't get it yet, do you? I can't believe you don't get it yet, son. If you watched me, if you see me, if you listen to me, if you watch the way I deal with people, the way I live my life, the way my character is, if you look, Philip, because if you've seen me, you have looked at God. Read the red ink. Read the red ink, and you'll see what God's like. Actually existing is the next phrase in there. Actually existing is describing Jesus' past before coming to earth via the virgin birth. Jesus was literally the continually existing one. Now, one thing my mind can't do, and I don't think yours can either, I cannot think of or grasp eternity. I can't, my mind is finite. Everything in my life begins and ends. But eternity never began and never ends. You got eternity past, you got eternity future. As far back there as you want to go, a trillion, take your pick, a uh, 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 10 quintillion, millions and trillions and trillions and billions and trillions of what we would call years. Jesus is there. <laughs> Can you wrap your mind around that? I can't. But that's what it says. Micah the prophet said this. He was making a prophecy about the coming of, of the Messiah. And he said, but you, Bethlehem, you are little to be among the clans of Judah. Yet out of you, Bethlehem, shall one, capital O, talking about the Messiah, shall one come forth for me who is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from ancient days, from eternity. He's saying this Messiah who's coming and he's going he's to invade history by way of Bethlehem, he's eternal. He's been moving and acting and existing for all eternity. So Jesus was not created. Jesus was not created when he was, when he was conceived in Mary's womb. He just invaded time and space. He'd always been there, and he always will be. Oh, man. I know this is kind of a mind bender, but sometimes the word will bend your mind. <laughs> All right? Now, the last little phrase, apprisable. He did not consider it apprisable 
to hang on to what he had. Here's what that means. It means that Jesus did not have to grasp for or try to possess or attempt to be God. He already was. He didn't have to try to be God. He already was. Now, what did he do? Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. Verse 7. Instead of hanging on to it or keeping his privileges in heaven, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. Now, we know this is the great condescension, the great condescension. There are several steps that are awesome to consider in Jesus condescending, and I'm going to close with these because as he did, Paul's whole message is, if you want to be like him, this is what you will do. He divested himself of his privileges. Now, what does that mean? He gave up his privileges. Here's what it does not mean. It does not mean he gave up his deity. He never did. Jesus never gave up his deity. But what it means is he limited his actions and responses as God, but not completely. Now, let me show you an example of what I mean. Remember when they came to take Jesus in the garden and Simon Peter decided it was time to fight? He whipped out his sword and cut off that dude's ear. Remember that? And here's the ear on the ground. (laughs) The guy's holding on to an earless head. Jesus went down, picked up the ear, and pasted it back onto his head and healed him. That's what he did. You know how he could do that? He was God. And look what he said. He said, Peter, (laughs) Peter encourages me. That boy didn't get it till Pentecost. (laughs) He encourages me. He said, Peter, put your sword back into its place, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. He said, don't you realize that I could? Everybody say with me, I could. I could ask my father. And he would immediately provide me with thousands of angels. And his, his, what he's saying is, is I could be whisked out of this right now. Why? Because I'm God. But what did he do? He laid aside his, what? Privileges. And, And not his deity, but his privileges as deity. He never gave up his deity, but he gave up what he could do. The operative phrase is, I could, I could pray and get out of this. But I've got to go to the cross and die. So what I could do, I'm not going to do. I willingly give my life. This is a perfect example of the restraint of Christ. You know, if it weren't for the restraint of Christ, none of us would be here tonight. He was all God while he was on earth, but he divested himself of his privileges in order to fulfill his purpose as redeemer. So he said, those angels, and believe me, they were staring down from glories, from the portals of glory, looking down. If Jesus had said, come get me out, it'd have been over, but he didn't do it. He walked on water, walked through closed doors, healed everybody and every manner of sickness, and so on and so forth, but he did not 
fully do what he could have done. He divested himself of his privileges so that he could save you and save me. The second step in Jesus' great condescension was he took on the shape of man. He was made in the likeness of men. Jesus was found to have everything as a man, but he didn't have the sin nature. He was not linked to Adam because he was born, birthed, conceived by the Holy Spirit. And that is why, church, that is why God did it the way he did it. God had to circumvent the curse of Adam. And so Jesus could be born of a woman, but he could not have an earthly man as a father because then he would have had Adam's fallen nature. If he had had Adam's fallen nature, he couldn't have redeemed us. So God had to enter earth by the Holy Spirit conceiving inside the woman as the father so that when Jesus was born, he was not carrying Adam's baggage. Born of a woman, but not conceived of a man. The Bible says this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, Yet he did not sin. He was all man. Say it with me. He was all man. All God. The God man. The third step in his great condescension was he took the humble position of a slave. Doulos is the Greek word, and it really literally means slave, a servant. God became our servant. To redeem us. All that he had, everything he had, he used for others. His brilliant mind. I've preached here many, many times. There's never been a more intelligent individual on earth than Jesus Christ. Never. He didn't even have IQ because he created IQ. There was nothing he didn't know. He was brilliant. He put Shakespeare in the shade, all the others. But he did not use that mind for himself. He used that mind for others. We've got it here in his teachings, the things he gave us. His miracle working power, he used it for others. He never used it to make any money. He never used it for his own profit. He only used what he had for others. His matchless speaking ability, used in the service of others, never for himself. I don't see where he ever took up an offering. Not that there's anything wrong with that. This is a different day. But he just told his disciples, go throw the net in. We'll have plenty of fish. And when you got to pay taxes, one of those fish is going to have money in his mouth. Boy, would I like to know that fish right now. <laughs> Paul tells us, what does he say to us? Looking at this, have this same attitude. What God has given you, use it for others. Use it to serve others. The fourth step Jesus took was he humbled himself all the way to the cross. When he appeared in human form, it says in verse 8, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. This is God dying for you and me. God redeeming you and me. You might say, well, how in the world can I be humble like that? I have pride. It's not easy. Anybody in here ever deal with pride? Oh, yeah. Come on. 
The rest of you, you're proud of your humility, right? We experience humility by doing what Jesus did, by serving others. When you and I humble ourselves, we are simply cutting off the top of the mountain of our pride when we humble ourselves. But when Jesus humbled himself, it was as very God, humbling himself daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, all the way to the death on the cross. Can you imagine if you are creator God? Can you imagine what you created turning on you, sinning against you, breaking fellowship with you, walking away from you, hiding from you, betraying you, ignoring you? Can you imagine then taking all the initiative to redeem them? Can you imagine allowing those very creatures you created to slap you in the face, to pull out your beard, to whip your back, to curse you, and to nail you to a tree? We can't comprehend that tonight. It's easier to comprehend eternity than that. But that's what he did. Now, let's read the last. Therefore, let's stand together. We'll read this together. Therefore, everybody say, therefore. therefore. Say with me, when you see therefore, you need to see what it's there for. All right, this is therefore. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name of, above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm looking forward to that day when every knee bows. Can we just worship this mighty Christ, this King of kings, and this Lord of lords? Lord, thank you for the incredible revelation you gave the Apostle Paul to give to us on the greatness of the awesomeness of who you were and are. Thank you, Lord, that you're coming back sometime soon. We know it and we expect it. Lord, help us to preach this Jesus to this generation, to share him, to reveal him, to teach him. And we thank you, Lord God, that this great Savior humbled himself all the way to the cross so that we tonight could be redeemed. Will you offer up just a moment of thanksgiving yourself? Just talk to Jesus a minute and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary.